All right, you know, I, I said last Sunday that my first Sunday of the New Year's was the most unpopular sermon that you could preach. I talked about the scripture of Lazarus and the rich man. And uh, a lot of folks today don't like that topic of hell. And really, I said I'd rather, much rather preach about heaven. But hell is still there. It's still real. But I think I may have been a little bit off. I think this sermon today is the most unpopular. <laughs> I told Chris a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, that I was going to preach on this. And uh, how's your hate life? How's your hate life? You've heard the phrase, how's your love life? I want to know how's your hate life? And did you know that there are some things that we're supposed to hate? And there are some things that God hates. And uh, what I'm reading today is going to be found in the sixth chapter of Proverbs, but this is not a full list of all the things that God hates. Uh, We live in a society... Uh, who thinks and believes that God don't hate anything. That God is a God of love, and He is. That's what the Bible teaches us. Uh, But hate is just the opposite of love. You can't have love without hate. Uh, Some things that you hate. You can't have up without down, or in without out. You know, they're they're polar opposites. Uh, But uh, some preachers are popular, very popular, and very rich. Television, televangelists, they're they're popular because they never preach on anything negative. Let me ask you something. How would you like it if you went to a doctor and he says you've got a tumor but we're not going to do anything about it. We're not even going to talk about it. It's so negative. We're just going to talk about the things that are right with you. And we won't dwell on what's wrong with you. What would you do? I'd get another doctor. (laughs) I would go to a doctor who's going to tell me exactly what's wrong with me. Well, I'm not a doctor, but, but... And I'm not going to tell you what's wrong with you. I'm just going to read the Bible and let the Holy Spirit do His work today and tell you and me what's wrong with us. Uh, But I just wanted to say that God is a God who hates. Uh, And we find that here in the Bible in in Revelations chapter 2, and that's not my text, but I'm just referring to it before I get to my text. Revelations chapter 2 and verse 6 to the church that uh, there in Ephesus who had left their first love. And he told them to go back to their first love. But he said, This thou hast, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which thing I also hate. That's the God of love. He said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He didn't say he hated the Nicolaitans. He said, I hate the deeds. And you hate the deeds. And that's a plus to you. Uh, You have that in your favor. 
Now the Nicolaitans, uh, you know, we don't find a group called the Nicolaitans in the Bible other than there. And so we get the meaning from the word. It means to rule it over the laity or to rule it over the people. Uh, and I, I would have to go into church history to tell you, and it would be a long, boring trip for you, but, but I just wanted you to quote that verse to show you that there are things that God hates, and He commended them for also hating it. In Amos chapter 5, verse 15, uh, He speaks of hating the evil, and love the good. Now he didn't say hate the person who does evil. He said hate thee. That word thee is put there to separate uh, and to tell you that he's not talking about the person but the evil. Hate the evil and love the good. Uh, but my text today is in Proverbs chapter 16, chapter 6. And beginning at verse 16, he said, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And then he goes through the list. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now, that's not the only seven things that we find in the Bible that God hates, but he says, I hate uh, these things. First uh, John chapter 4 and verse 16 tells us that God is love, and yet we... we uh, uh, have here in Proverbs uh, the fact that God also hates. We're, we're allowed to see the other side of God's character. Uh, he is God of love, yes. Yes, He is. But He don't love everything. He loves every person. Uh, thank God He does. He wouldn't have loved me uh, had He you know, hated the sinner. He don't hate the sinner, but he does hate the sin. Uh, so, this, uh, those, those two words, hate, means to exclude from fellowship. God is a God of love, but He's also a holy God. He is also perfect in His uh, character, and being perfect, being holy, he cannot fellowship with someone who's unholy. That's why we needed a Savior to come down from heaven, become man, and die on the cross to justify us and to, uh, to bring us back into fellowship with God. A sinner cannot fellowship with God because of His holiness. But thank God, a forgiven sinner, one that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb, can fellowship, can have communion and fellowship 
with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the God of heaven. And so, uh, and the other word that we noticed is abomination. Abomination uh, means something that is extremely wicked. Now we, we sometimes we say, I've said it myself, but after thinking about it, I, I know I was wrong. We say, well, it don't matter. Sin is sin. <laughs> In other words, we just take all sin and put them together and say they're all the same. But they're not all the same. He, some things, he says, is an abomination. It's extremely uh, wicked, extremely sinful. Leviticus 18. And you don't have to turn there because I'm not turning there, but he lists sexual perversion uh, as being uh, something that is an abomination in God's sight. And then in Deuteronomy 7.25, idolatry is an abomination to him. Uh, we have in this commandment here, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Uh, in other words, he's to be our only God. And no graven images. We're not to bow down and worship anything. And if we do, that's an abomination in God's sight. Uh, anyway, there are many other things. Those who are guilty of such things will experience the wrath of Almighty God. Oh no, he won't, he won't show us his wrath because he's a loving God. Yes, he will. Turn to the back of the book uh, to Revelations and you will see the wrath of God that's poured out on the world. And I'm telling you, it's, it's coming to a city near you very soon. Very soon, the wrath of God. And I'm not necessarily talking about the end of the world, but I'm just talking about God's wrath being poured out. Uh, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, Galatians, he said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap corruption. So, uh, that, that wrath of God is poured out. It's coming uh, and very soon. And I hope it's after, uh, after we're out of here. And I'm not talking about dying. I'm talking about the rapture of the church. Uh, when the Bible says that these things God hates, uh, as I said earlier, it doesn't mean this is all He hates, but He hates anything that is in opposition to His Word and to His glory. So I want us to look today in this uh, sixth chapter of Proverbs at the list of the things that God hates and ask that the Holy Spirit speak to our heart. And the first thing that he lists here in uh, verse 17, he said, a proud look. Now you're taught today, our school children are taught that we're supposed to think highly of ourselves. Now let me tell you, there's a difference between self-respect and pride. Pride is 
and this is my definition, I'm, I'm not uh, Mr. Webster, but pride is going beyond extremes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's beyond self-respect. It's going too far. Taking self-respect and running away with it. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. But he says, I, I despise these things I hate. I not only hate them, but they are an abomination unto me. A proud look. The Pharisees were guilty of this. Uh, it's, it's when you examine yourself, and boy, you come up with a high estimation of yourself and who you are and what you are and how good you are and then you look at someone else and you say I'm better than them and as I said the Pharisees did that all the time but it's not just the Pharisees us folks do that all the time also we compare our, and boy, do we ever love to compare ourselves to others. When the Holy Spirit says, boy, you're not all that you ought to be. And then I immediately think of someone else and say, but I'm better than them. You know, I don't do this and I don't do that and I'm better than them. And you know, the Bible tells us that when God made us, He made us from the dust of the earth. How are you going to glorify dirt? How are you going to deify dust and make it better than someone else? We have, I've used this a lot of times, but we have a, a description of this in the Bible where Jesus talked about two men going to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other one was a publican. It was a tax collector and the Pharisee said, Lord, but Jesus said he wasn't really talking to the Lord. He was talking with himself. You ever do that? He <laughs> He said, I am so glad I'm not like other men. You won't get anywhere with God with that kind of an attitude. God does not like pride. But He does like humility. Uh, that verse in the Bible that you hear quoted so much in... Uh, in today's society, and it's been in the Bible for a long time, but Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, which says, If my people, which are called by my name, will what? Humble. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and what? Turn. Turn from what? What kind of ways? Wicked. wicked. Does anybody here have wicked ways? <laughs> now that's that's where that's boy that's that's rough. We would say, I'm not wicked. I don't have any wicked ways. If you have pride, 
that's wicked. God says it's an abomination. And then he says, a lying tongue. Any of y'all ever told a lie? Any of you? One guy. <laughs> Two guys. Count me, there's three. We're the only ones here. A lying tongue. Now you think about that tongue. God, why did God give us a tongue? To praise Him. To honor Him. We just got through singing a minute ago, and I hope that when you were singing that you were doing it from your heart, through your tongue, and up to Him. Honoring Him with your tongue. Now, that honoring Him is not all that the tongue does. I mean, we taste food with the tongue. Uh, that's where our taste buds are. I think it's the front of the tongue is where you, you taste things that are sweet. Now, I'm telling you what. If you can eat banana pudding and you can taste it and not praise God, <laughs> something is wrong with you. <laughs> Alright, but sweet things is not all that we taste with the tongue. Uh, if, if, if you say, well, that's not, you know, when you're tasting things, that's not necessarily honoring God, but it ought to make you honor God. It ought to make you praise God that you even just got something to eat. Uh, that God had put something on your table, that He's He's given you something to eat. And men, you ought to, if you got a, a good wife that can cook those good things for you to eat, you ought to praise God. Because we have arrived in a society of people that don't even know what the kitchen is for. And, and you husbands. God didn't make you to cook. <laughs> I'm just I'm just having fun now. I'm saying that because my wife won't eat anything that I cook. It's not safe. Kevin will vouch for that. <laughs> but but I can praise Him for the other things that my tongue is for, but my tongue was given to honor and glorify the Lord. That's why it's so wicked when you hear people using their tongue for foul language. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Alright, so a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. The first time in the Bible where innocent blood was shed was in the uh, story of Cain and Abel, where Abel brought the right sacrifice and Cain didn't, and because of that, God rejected uh, him and his attitude and everything that he had toward God and toward Abel, and because of that, he got mad and slew Abel. 
And God said, His blood crieth to me from the ground. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Now, this is going to be political. I'm telling you, Washington, D.C., and all of these people outside of Washington, D.C., who vote and elect a man or a woman, uh, whether it's Congress, whatever it is, or a president, who says, I am for abortion, you got some blood on your hands. Hands that shed innocent blood. Charlie gave me a little paper earlier, and I read part of it, and then Chris interrupted me with his Sunday school. <laughs> no, that was all right. I wasn't going to read the whole thing anyway, Chris, and I knew it was time for Sunday school. I'm just picking at you. But uh, uh, it's, it was, and I forgot what state it was, but they, they said that it was all right to abort a baby above 24 weeks and not only that but they changed the rules that if the baby was born alive if it survived abortion you could legally kill it I'm telling you I'm glad my mom and daddy didn't abort me and I was number nine on the totem pole I was the ninth child to a sharecropper, and a sharecropper, well, you know what they are. They do, they're, they're somewhere in a lower uh, pay, pay bracket than a coal miner, uh, somewhere down there. And so they sure didn't need a ninth child. They didn't need another mouth to feed, but uh, boy, I'm glad they did. I'm glad that they didn't know anything about abortion way back then. And they went ahead and, and gave birth to me. And God blessed me and saved me and called me to the ministry. Uh, anyway, I'm getting off track here. Hands that shed innocent blood. I'm telling you that America has got a price to pay. When is it going to be? I don't know. Maybe we're living in a time that God says, I'm going to give them just a little bit more time to repent. But judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. It's going to fall. Hands that shed innocent blood. And a heart that divides wicked imaginations. That's somebody that goes around all the time thinking about wickedness in their heart. And then they start devising it. They start planning it. How can I bring this wickedness about in my life? How, what do I need to do to make that come true? And then that's followed by feet that be swift and running to mischief. <laughs> that whole verse is saying the heart plans it, the mind devises it, how it can do, and then the feet run after it. The feet are swift to go and make that come about 
to make it happen. Uh, running to mischief. I gotta hurry. But anyway, a false witness that speaketh lies. That's perjury. Perjury. Being willing to lie. Uh, we think about those false witnesses that were hired uh, by the Pharisees to bring charges against our Lord and Savior. It's what they were, false witnesses. But we've had a bunch of false witnesses since then. I think the news media today falls in that category. False witnesses. I saw back when uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, Antifa was, was burning and looting and destroying America and pulling people out of their cars and beating them up. CNN said it's not what they're doing that's wrong, it's what caused them to do it. And he was glorifying what they were doing. But boy, they changed their tune just the other day. Uh, when that same bunch, and I still believe it was Antifa that infiltrated that peaceful protest and uh, uh, broke into the uh, Capitol, Capitol building. And, and yes, that was, that was terrible, but that same news media person was condemning all of the whole thing. They had just as much right to have a peaceful protest, but that what the Black Lives Matter and the Antifa were doing was not peaceful. <laughs> but they glorified it, and then they condemned what happened the other day. That's the news media for you. They are a false witness that speaketh lies. And then, here's, here's the last thing. He that soweth discord among the brethren. Uh, you ever had somebody come up to you and pretend, pretend that they are so concerned and they'll say something like this. They'll say, now I don't know if this is true and right then, you ought to cut them off. You ought to have the backbone to say, well, if you don't know whether it's true or not, if you don't know, then I don't want to hear it until you do know. But they'll say, I don't know if this is true, but I'm just telling you uh, what, what old, old so-and-so did, and I'm telling you that so you can pray for him. They're not praying for him. They're not concerned about it. I'm, I'm telling you that any of us, and I said us, U.S., that includes me, any of us are capable of any of these sins that, we, that I just read to you, that God hates and is an abomination. Any of us are capable of falling for any of them and thereby damaging our testimony. And when we do that, we need friends. 
We need prayer. We need the convicting power of the Holy Spirit on our lives uh, or to our lives. And then we need to repent of it. A false witness that speaketh lies and he that soweth discord among the brethren. He, he sows the discord among the brethren. I remember many, many years ago when I was a young man. <laughs> that, was, that was many years ago. <laughs> but we had a fellow that was Sunday school superintendent in the church that we were attending and another guy and I didn't know this at the time but he was wanting to be the Sunday school superintendent so he went around telling folks he said if I was the superintendent this is what I would do and they would say do you like what did you think of what that guy said or what he does now, if it was me, and what he was wanting, he wanted them to fire the other guy and elect him. That's politics in church. That's bad, but it does happen. So he was guilty of sowing discord among the brethren. You know, it'd be like me going to Richie and say, did you, did you see what Chris did? <laughs> Or going to Chris and say, did you, did you hear Richie? Did you see what he did? If you see something that Richie did or anybody does, any of your brothers and sisters, go to them alone and pray with them. Let them know you love them. Let them know that you, know, you don't have to approve what they did. But if, if they did something that bad, they already know it. But they need to know that you love them and that you're praying for them. Uh, otherwise, we would be sowing discord by just <laughs> gossip. Spread it around. <laughs> sowing discord among the brethren. But you say, Brother Howard, what does this lesson teach us? Well, the first thing is it teaches us that God hates these things. God is a God of love, but God hates these things and many others. And then the next lesson is that Jesus died on the cross for every one of these sins. He paid it all. He died there for the sins that I've committed. He died for the sins that you have committed. And I want to tell you, I've been saved a long time, but as I read these verses, they speak to me. They speak to me. And if they speak to me, I know they got to speak to you. You know why? Because I have examined myself, and I, I, I put myself up here, and then I examine you, and you're down here. <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean? They speak to me and they and they speak to you. I know they do. <laughs> because we're not above sin yet. The only part of us that 
don't sin is the part where the Holy Spirit dwells. That's in your spirit. You don't sin in your spirit, but in your flesh, you do sin. And I'm not minimizing it because God doesn't minimize it. He said, I hate these things and they are an abomination unto me. They are extremely wicked. And that's exactly the way that you and I ought to look at our own, let me say it again, at our own sin. We ought to look at it as being an abomination to God, something that He hates. And if God hates it, we ought to hate it. We ought to love the things that God loves and we ought to hate the things that God hates. And He hates these sins. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and you're still in your sins, I want to tell you that there was a price paid for you. Jesus Christ came and He looked at your sins and He went to the cross and died there for your sins. He paid your sin debt. But you have to accept that payment. He don't just force it on you. You've got to receive it. The gift of God is eternal life. What do you do with the gift? You either receive it or you reject it. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ is your Savior, I beg you, I pray and I plead with you to receive that gift of salvation. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. But I want to speak to those of us who are already saved and ask you to remember the terms that God has placed on us. We want, we want God's blessings, don't we? No, I, I've never heard anybody say, Lord, just curse me. Don't don't bless me. Every time you pray, you say, Lord, bless me. But God won't bless you on your terms. He won't bless me on my, my terms. He won't bless America on America's terms. We can't say, Lord, I'm going to continue to sin. I'm going to have these the proud look uh, I'm uh, the lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God, I'm going to do all those things, but bless me. We don't get God's blessings on our terms. I remind you again of that verse that we uh, quoted a moment ago in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If we, which are called by God's name, will humble ourselves, humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways, then He said, then I will hear from heaven 
and will forgive your sins and heal the land. America needs healing. And we're a part of America. America is not just a chunk of dirt. It's a people that makes up what we call the United States of America. It's made up of people. And, and I know that every one of you and, and me, you can think of, of a whole lot of people that needs to repent. But I'm telling you what, you ought to focus and I ought to focus my eyes inward. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about my brother and my sister. I'm talking about me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of repentance. I need to repent of these sins. I need to get the things out of my life that God hates. That's an abomination to Him. We all do. You know, we, we talk about revival. We talk about how, how we need uh, revival. And uh, people get mad if the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin. They'll get mad and say, hmm, that's hate. That's hate. That, that church, they hate me. God hates me. No, He don't. He wouldn't convict you if He hated you. He convicts you because He loved you because He died for you on the cross. And if He wants to do something with our lives, we've got to repent. We've got to clean up our act, so to speak. Get rid of these sins in our life. God's Word is perfect. It's holy. And you can ignore it or you can receive it. You can believe it. And uh, I think Richie mentioned this last night. We don't understand everything in God's Word. But there's a whole lot that we do understand. But whether we understand it or not, you can believe it. You can take it to the bank. God always and will always do exactly what He says He's going to do. And He says, if you confess your sins then I will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, we, we hurriedly went through those things that God hates and then He says in an abomination. But did any of it speak to your heart? If you did, then you ought to do something about it as we stand and sing this closing hymn. Hymn number 382. 382. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me.
Oh, yeah.